and welcome to Thingamajigs, the exciting history of mundane things. I am Ben. And I'm Daniel. We are your hosts on this journey as you step into our time machine. They're creepy and they're kooky. They're all together spooky. I messed that up already. No one who uses Spotify remembers that song anyway, so I don't think it'll matter. It's okay. I'm just excited for the the upcoming holiday season. It's fine. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go too far and then get sued by the Adams family. They have a lot of money. <laughs> Plus, they'll send Uncle Fester after you. And he'll he'll shock you with his little electric fingers. Sounds kind of erotic. I'll take it. I I don't think it is meant to be. It's all about how you choose to look at things and change your perspective. Anything can be erotic. You know what else is kind of spooky? What's that? The dark. You don't know what could be crawling around in there. It could be anything. So so how did we light our homes? Well, we have a system of LEDs, or light-emitting diodes. Hey, 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 now. You are, are skipping many years by bringing up light admitting diodes are you telling me that in ancient egypt they didn't have leds in their funerary tetrahedrons they probably did have some leds but they were probably like you know initials of ancient people maybe maybe large entry doors maybe their slogan was loving every day so uh, they'd go around to to their neighbors and be like hey led if there's one thing that history teaches us about ancient Egyptians, they are very wholesome people. And they speak English and have our letters. <laughs> These are all things you learn when you're homeschooled. So what do we what do we do? Did we just sleep at night and only walk about the day? Yes. Not exactly. Oh. Although it is true that people tended to go to bed earlier and wake up earlier in order to soak up as much of that free light source as possible. They even filled their houses with a lot of mirrors so they could reflect more light around the room. Like that very realistic scene in The Mummy when they break into that tomb and she like touches the mirror and the sun dances across the room and then lights everything up for the rest of the movie. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it works. Yeah, so uh, we were all fools to doubt the accuracy of The Mummy. Giant windows were popular among the people that could afford that tax on light and air we talked about in the air conditioning episode. But for the people who did want to be a little naughty and stay up late, there were some options. Fire has always been the oldest form of spreading light to places you wanted to be at night. And there were lots of different ways to burn stuff. But the biggest light source in people's homes was the hearth. The hearth was... Extremely important in ye olden times. It provided light. It was the heater for the home. It was where people cooked their stews. I remember in history class they would talk about how when the early settlers came to Amritka, the fire in the middle of their homes was like the source of their whole life. Cooked all their food, kept them warm, gave them light. And if that fire ever went out and they couldn't uh, start a new fire, they'd basically all be dead. I think this is one part about ye olden times I would enjoy. They had stew pots that hung over their fireplaces where they cooked their food, which meant that my favorite one-pot meals were on the menu almost every night. Probably not every night, but more often than I have stew and soup in my life right now. 
What I would give. Try a soup from a little middle-aged lady from the 1600s. It probably looked disgusting, but I have a feeling it tasted good. Their soup was probably terrible. I just want to point that out. They didn't have any Tony Sacheries. Spices were very expensive. Salt was so expensive, it had a special bowl, and the, the size of your salt cellar was a status symbol. Anyway, back to the hearth. Families would gather here to work on their projects that could be done inside in, in a small space, like reading, sewing, carving, knitting, you know, if they could read, things like that. But our story is going to start, as it always does, in Egypt. The Egyptians used oil lamps. The lamp part would be made of gold or silver, bronze, stone, or pottery, depending on how much money you had. They would fill the lamps with usually plant-based oil because it burned cleaner, but they would also use animal-based oil as well because it was cheaper than the plant-based oil. So I guess the cheapest option was a pottery lamp with animal fat, and the most expensive option would have had to be a gold lamp with sesame seed oil. I believe Aladdin's lamp was gold. It looked gold. It looked gold in the movie. The wicks for the lamps were usually made by twisting together the fibers from flax plants, and then nothing happened with oil lamps for a very long time. They had candles, too, but the Romans are generally credited with developing the wicked candle. They would dip rolled papyrus in melted tallow or beeswax. Early Chinese candles are said to have been molded in paper tubes using rolled-up rice paper for the wick. They used local insects and seeds for the wax. Another way we know about how ancient people used candles is because of their religious significance. Hanukkah and the Jewish Festival of Lights center on lighting candles and dates back to... I found a couple of dates, but it seemed most people agree on 165, 164 BC. But there are several biblical references to both oil lamps and candles. People loved documenting everything back then, and it really worked out for us. They knew. They knew, hey... One day, Danielle and Ben are going to have a podcast, and we need to write all this down. I don't, I don't know that that was their exact thought, but... Oh, no, it was for us. Oh, yeah, I guess that checks out. Rushlight was the poor people's choice of candles. It was made with a rush plant as the wick, and then it was dipped in animal fat to create the candlestick part. They were extremely inexpensive to make, but unfortunately, they were made with the animal fat, which made them very sooty. Yeah, you ever set the temperature too high when you're frying up some bacon? Your whole house fills with that smoke and you're just choking for the rest of the day? And that scent lingers so long. You come in from work and you're like, oh, what's that smell? Oh, it was the bacon from breakfast. Why is it still here? They had special candle holders that held the candle at an angle so that you could light both ends. Yes, this is where the popular expression burning the candle at both ends comes from. Of course, burning it on both ends did use up your already quickly fleeting candle life faster, but if you wanted more light, then it did the trick. It's probably important to mention that they only burned for about 20 minutes, so I'm sure it felt like burning money. But I bet it was great at keeping evening guest visits to a 20-minute cap. Maybe it was like a good sign to everybody in the room. Like, oh, we gotta get going. Candle's almost gone. I don't know. Tallow was another animal fat-based candle. It was cheaper, but again, sooty and had an acrid smell. What is tallow? <laughs> All I know about tallow is that you can get it in The Witcher, and the icon for it is this gross pale goo. It's a rendered form of beef or mutton fat. Apparently it was better to make them out of sheep or cow because 
pigs smelled the worst. Also, I read where in starving times, people would eat them because they did have calories, but like, ugh. Didn't make enough to go to the market today. Hand me the candles. You eat your candlestick and you be happy. Probably the equivalent of having powdered milk as a kid. Oh, the now time equivalent of powdered milk? Yeah. We we knew we were uh, having a hard month whenever mom got the powdered milk down from the cabinet over the fridge. See, we had a dairy cow, so milk wasn't a difficult thing to get. I mean, we had to go milk it to get the, to get the milk, but milk was not a difficult thing to acquire. You had your own cow. Check your privilege. We had a bunch of cats, and they'd scratch us when we tried to milk them. I cannot imagine that a cat would produce a lot of milk. No wonder you had to use the powdered milk to cut it. Beeswax candles were introduced to Europe in the Middle Ages. This was a big deal because they burned very pure and clean and also had a nice smell, but they were expensive, so normies would not have been daily users. Beeswax candles are still expensive today. I looked some up to to buy some, and wow. American colonial women thought they had the hot new thing in candle making when they discovered boiling the grayish-green berries of the bayberry bush, which is a fun name. It produced a sweet-smelling wax that burned pure, but it was a very tedious process, so it did not gain popularity. How tedious must it have been for people who toiled in tedium on a daily basis to say, nah, this is too much. The whaling industry in the late 1700s brought the next big change in candle making. Spermaceti, a wax obtained by crystallizing sperm oil, It was obtained in large quantities, it burned cleanly, it didn't have that repugnant smell, and it burned brighter. It also was a much harder wax, so it didn't go soft and bend in the summer heat. This is probably closer to the candles we know today. Whale oil was also used in oil lamps, but this was not sustainable. One sperm whale provided about 25 to 40 barrels of oil. We needed to find a new fuel before all the whales were gone. In 1780, Amy Argand wanted to improve the oil lamp. He invented the Argand lamp. It had a cylindrical wick that made a larger flame and a glass chimney that directed the draft over the flame. It was ten times brighter than the earlier oil lamps. I like how everybody back then just named all of their inventions after themselves. Hmm, I tied this string to this thing. I'm going to call it the Benjamin Contraption. Michel Eugène Chevrol. Close enough. A French chemist discovered how to extract stearic acid from animal fatty acid. They burned cleanly and were hard and durable. Michel was the first scientist to define the concept of a chemical compound, and he is one of the founders of organic chemistry. I know a lot of pre-med vet students who curse his name, or at least cursed organic chemistry. Dr. Jody used to say organic chemistry separated the ones who could from the ones who could not. I like the concept of it. I'd probably have fun in that class, even if I'd fail. (laughs) Michelle also is one of the 72 names inscribed on the Eiffel Tower. I didn't know there were any names on the Eiffel Tower because I'm uncultured. There are 72. He lived to be 102, which isn't important for the purpose of this story, but that is kind of a long time. In 1807... Paul Mall in London was the first street to be illuminated with gas lamps. This created a new job because all these streets had to be lit and put out, thus the lamp lighters. Baltimore was the first city in the United States to have gas street lamps. 
Global use of gas lamps on streets marked the beginning of the big gas companies. The lamplighters walked so much. There was a figure on how many miles a lamplighter walked in his lifetime, and oh my gosh, it was so many miles. Probably would have been a cool job. I wonder if it would have been a full-time job, though, because... Yes, you light all of them at night and then you put all of them out, but did they also expect you to have a day job? I'm pretty sure Henry Ford was the one who invented the work week that we have right now. They'd probably be like, we'll give you this many shillings per week. Just do your job. Oh, so they were your salary workers. Yeah, probably. Nice. In 1834, Joseph Morgan patented a machine that revolutionized candle making. It allowed for continuous production of molded candles by using a cylinder with a movable piston to eject candles as they solidified. This obviously made candles cheaper for everyone. We like that. Abraham Gessner is the inventor of kerosene in 1846. It was distilled and refined from coal. It was a better and cheaper lamp fuel. He got his patent in 1850 and got some great reviews from at least seven New York newspapers. Some even say that Abraham saved the sperm whale. Sperm whale has a funny name. That's all. I wonder what the sperm whale sperms are called. Are they called whale sperms? They're sperm sperms. Paraffin wax was introduced in the 1850s after we learned how to efficiently efficiently separate naturally occurring waxy substances from petroleum and refine it. It burned cleanly and consistently and was more economical to produce than any other candle fuel. Paraffin oil was also an option for oil lamps. Paraffin wax is cool. It has some neat properties with thermal expansion. There are systems for solar panels to make them naturally follow the sun based on paraffin wax in a tube. Because as the sun heats it up, it expands a bunch and it can just like push a piston that turns all the solar panels over time. Gas lighting in homes was increasingly popular, but it was usually frowned upon in bedrooms due to the unfortunate downside of choking fumes and the risk of explosion. These days, gas lighting is most popular in the bedroom. It's thought that ladies frequently fainted not only because of their corsets restricting breathing, but also because of the lack of oxygen in their gas-lit rooms. There was this plant that they liked to have in the home because it did not require a lot of oxygen and it did well. They were like, oh, all of our houseplants are dying. Maybe maybe we should get a plant that isn't going to need oxygen. Oh, but we need oxygen. <laughs> I don't know. You'd think that they would have fixed the oxygen problem, not just bought a new plant. <laughs> I mean, if there was definitive evidence now that our lighting was detrimental to our health we probably wouldn't stop using it if they came out and they're like hey so it turns out wi-fi is killing all of us we wouldn't care unfortunately that is probably true and then a beautiful thing happened in 1802 sir humphrey davy which i just love that name so much created the first electric light by passing a current through a platinum strip this marked the beginning of the history of light bulbs You will be surprised how long it takes Edison to show up. Good. In 1841, Frederick de Moulins received the first patent for an incandescent lamp in England. Now, granted, this design was not efficient enough for commercial use. The top would have darkened over time, which was not good for the purposes of giving light. But everything has to start somewhere, right? Now, you will notice there are a lot of people working on this all around at the same time. This phenomenon is 
known as multi-discovery or simultaneous invention. It's when scientific discovery or inventions are made independently and more or less simultaneously. You and I call it great minds think alike. In 1865, Hermann Spriegel, he's German, invented his version that included mercury. So that one must have been a big hit. People loved mercury. And then in 1874, Henry Woodward and Matthew Evans filed a patent that included a carbon filament. In 1850, English chemist Joseph Swan began working on making light more economical. It took him 10 years to develop a light bulb that used carbonized paper filament within an evacuated bulb. He used a pump to remove the air from the bulb so that the air wouldn't oxidize the filament. He received a patent in the UK in 1878, and in 1879, he did a demonstration at a lecture in Newcastle, England. Consequently, Swan's home was one of the first residents to be lit by light bulbs. In 1878, William E. Sawyer, an Albion man, received the first patent for improvement of the electric lights. His was a nitrogen-filled globe with a carbon conductor. Which I thought it was interesting that his patent is improvement of electric light. In the late 1870s, Thomas Edison began experimenting with platinum and carbon filament. He produced a bulb that lasted 13 and a half hours. He got his U.S. patent in 1880, although several months later his team realized that carbonized bamboo filament would last over 1,200 hours, which was a big improvement over the 13 and a half. Now your guests could stay up to... 1,200 hours. They ruined it. (laughs) With the funding from J.P. Morgan, Spencer Trask, and the Vanderbilt family, he opened Edison Electric Light Company. But as with many Edison stories, he dealt with court battles over his patent. The patent office ruled that Edison's patent was invalid because it was based on the work of William Sawyer, but a judge reversed that patent. After a massive bribe. Probably, I don't know, I didn't look into it. Probably. Probably. (laughs) On top of that, in order to avoid another legal battle regarding patent infringement, he had to form a joint company with Joseph Swan. Edison and Swan United Electric Light Company. It was commonly known as Ediswan. Edison bought Swan out after a few years. Edison did not invent the first light bulb, but he did improve the design and performance, so I guess we'll give him that. He had a lot of help. I feel like we need to call Edison... Not so much inventor as excellent businessman. He was probably the first manager in history. <laughs> probably not, but he, he definitely made his mark. I'm doing all the work here by sitting here and making sure that you're doing all the work. That's why I get paid three times as much. After the race to create a light bulb that could be sold commercially was over, GE developed the tungsten filament that lasted longer and burned brighter. The halogen light bulb made its appearance in 1956, again by GE. But there were still problems with incandescent lighting. They are inefficient with only about 10% of the energy it uses being converted into visible light. The rest of that energy was wasted in heat. Yeah, by its very nature, it's a very inefficient process. Which brings us to the 1970s when the U.S. oil crisis sparked interest in energy-efficient residential lighting. In 1976, Edward E. Hammer, an engineer at GE, bent a fluorescent tube into a spiral shape, creating the first compact fluorescent light. They kind of shelved the idea, though, because the machinery to mass-produce the bulb was expensive, but the idea was leaked and other manufacturers began to produce it. 
It hit the market in the 80s, but people were hesitant because they were $25 to $35 a bulb. That's a lot of money for the 80s. Oh, that was yesterday dollars? Yeah. But as time went on, the price went down and people realized that they lasted longer and were more cost effective. In the 90s, researchers focused on increasing the energy efficiency of light-emitting diodes. And in the early 2000s, the first LED light bulb hit the market. Since 2008, the price of LED bulbs have decreased more than 85%, making them an affordable choice. LED bulbs are six to seven times more efficient than incandescent, cut energy consumption by 80%, and last 25 times longer. Well, it sure is a good thing that LED bulbs have gotten so much cheaper. Breaking news. I got a news flash for y'all. Incandescent bulbs have basically been outlawed, at least in the U.S. We had to take down all of our incandescent bulbs off of the shelf and replace them with LED bulbs. It is impressive how much cheaper the LEDs have gotten. I remember my old boss was trying to change out all the bulbs in his house for LEDs to save on the electric bill. He was a wealthy guy. He had a lot of lights in his house. He changed out all the lights in half of his living room, and it cost like $200. And it was not that long ago. This incandescent light strand that we have up here is, uh, it's very rare now. All right, here's a stock tip for all of our listeners. Welcome to the Thingamajig Stock Exchange Advice Podcast. Uh, This is not investment advice and should not be taken as such. I'm not a professional investor, and this advice is bad. So here's the big tip for you guys. Go to the stores that still have incandescent bulbs, buy them all up, throw them in a storage unit for at least 20 years, and then put those bad boys on the market. Anything that requires an incandescent bulb in the future, you know, the retro tech enthusiasts, they are willing to pay... So much money. You can probably find them somewhere. Stash them with your uh, McDonald's ashtrays. And all of those phone and computer boxes that you've been saving for no reason. You'll need them someday. Don't worry. All the people who are telling you to throw them away, they're wrong. I also specifically saved the box to the Xbox Series X because I feel like it's going to be a sought-after item someday. I don't even own an Xbox Series X. Well, that's going to be the end of this exciting history of a mundane thing. You got any PSAs or anything like that? If you're not in a room, turn the light off. That's a good one. If you want a dimmable light in the room, you have to make sure that both the LED is dimmable, it should say on the box, and that the switch is compatible with dimmable LEDs, because they work a little bit differently. So that's something, as you're making that switch incandescent to LED. If you're setting a cozy mood with a candle, maybe keep an eye on that candle. Don't burn your house down. My mom's really weird about candles. Anytime she smells a burning smell at all, she gets up and says, where does that smell? My parents are probably blind to the smell of burning things because me and my brother set a lot of stuff on fire as kids. (laughs) The smoke alarm went off a lot in our house from the one in our bedroom. It's usually harmless things like uh, lengths of black powder wicks. We had a fire extinguisher. Well, this has been Thingamajigs and another exciting history of a mundane thing. Grab a goose and enjoy a scrumptious candle for dinner. Thanks for listening. Now, go! Woo!